The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Show. I'm your host, Nick Regretis, and I'm speaking to you from my studio in Los Angeles, California. Hope wherever you are in the world and whatever it is that you're doing, that this message and this show finds you happy, healthy, and on your mission. Today's guest is a highly accomplished individual who is an expert in the fields of health and nutrition, and he is also a hugely successful entrepreneur. He created a brand which led to a billion dollar industry being formed. And uh, in this episode, he shares some stuff which was not what I expected him to share. He goes really deep in one particular subject, which I think has profound meaning for everyone listening. And I know you guys are going to get a hell of a lot out of it. Before we dive into the discussion, I wanted to remind you that you can get a free copy of my book, Aligned, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Freedom. If you head on over to liberationmentor.com forward slash book, you can download a free copy there. If you've already read the book and enjoyed it, please head on over to Amazon and leave a review. That really means a lot to me. And also, if you're enjoying the show, head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Finally, remember that you can always get a discount on my best damn eutropic formula, BDNF. It's an amazing product. Everyone who takes it loves it. Head on over to the site 100percenthealthcom and you can see some of the reviews and testimonials of people who've used this product to completely change their lives. I'm on it at the moment as we speak. It's the only thing that's allowing me to get through a pretty long day. It provides mental focus, improves cognition, improves memory, just an all-around amazing product for the health of your brain. So head on over to 100%.health and use the coupon code PODCAST to get a discount on the best damn eutropic formula, aka BDNF. Let's dive into this week's episode of the show with Udo Erasmus. Here we go. Hey, brothers. Welcome back to the Liberation Mental Show. I'm your host, Nick Arradis, and today's guest is a very unusual, accomplished, interesting, and I don't know what else to say, just an amazing man. His name is Udo Erasmus, and he's the founder of Udo's Choice Oils, or the Udo's Choice brand. He has had an incredibly interesting life, done some amazing things, and he is here to share with us some of those things. So thanks so much, Udo, for giving us your time. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing me on. Yeah, it's. it's um, I was just saying to you before we started the recording, when I was a kid in South Africa, I was always interested in health. It was one of the primary values in my life. And I remember seeing and actually buying some Udo's Choice oils from a health store when I was a, a kid. And if someone had told me back then, one day you'd be living in America and doing an interview with the guy Udo from the front of the bottle or the back of the bottle, I would have um, laughed in your face. So it's really, really cool for me that your, your team reached out to set up this interview. Yeah, cool. Maybe, maybe there's a homing device in the oil that <laughs> <laughs> should be. <laughs> Before we get into um, learning a little bit more about what you did with your, your amazing brand, t- 
tell me a little bit about your background. You you grew up in Poland just before the end of the Second World War. Is that right? Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I was born in 1942, so in the middle of the war. In uh, what is now Poland was then Germany. My parents came from Latvia and Estonia, but they had German Swedish background. And so we lived on a farm that was taken over by Poland as part of an agreement between Stalin and Hitler. So like you said, <laughs> you come from where? <laughs> and in that agreement, Latvia went to the Soviet Union and part of Poland went to Germany. But there was nobody from Latvia or Poland at the meeting. They just took it because they were big. Right. Germany and Russia is like <laughs> or, or Soviet Union. And then when uh, when I was uh, two and a half years in the winter of 45, we ended up being refugees, mothers with young children, mostly because all the men were dead or off to war and in horse drawn hay wagons on dirt roads, trying to get fleeing from the communists who were chasing us in trucks and tanks and going westward to try and get out of Poland. And the allies, the so-called good guys, knew there was no military presence on those roads, but they were using the refugees as target practice from planes. So we were being, being chased from the back and shot at from the front. And my mother basically took two of the six kids she had uh, with her uh, by the hand and started walking across the fields because it was safer than the roads. And there were dead people and dead horses in the ditches. And, and it was a really chaos. I don't remember a lot of it. I remember not feeling safe. And I still get that feeling and anxiety, chaos. You know, you got told one thing one day and something else the next day, Gee, just like <laughs> just like we have been for the last year. <laughs> but except there were real bullets flying. So this was not like, a, oh, yeah, I didn't, this was not a preference thing. This was a like survival thing. Sure. And uh, we got separated. My mother had to leave me behind. Imagine being a mother having to make that decision. And then eventually we got reunited. But it left an impression on me. So when I was six, I listened to people argue in Germany where we had landed. And it was always about things that I thought were really trivial. And it occurred to me one day man, there must be a way that people can live in harmony. And I'm going to find out how, <laughs> being six years old and not knowing how complicated <laughs> everything is, right? And that's been my driver all my life, actually. So I, in, in, I went into science to find out how things work, you know, because when you know how things work, then there's a certain amount of predictability and, and control and safety in it. Then I got into biosciences to figure out how creatures work. Then I got into psychology to figure out how thinking works. Then I got into medicine because I wanted to know what health is, but only learned about disease. So I went back into biochemistry and genetics because in biology, you actually learn about health, how normal creatures function in normal situations. And then I still was looking for something that I couldn't find. And I then left university and eventually got into self-knowledge because what I really needed, and I figured it took me 30 years to figure it out, what I really needed to know is how I work. <laughs> and so that's basically is my background. Well, so much to unpack there. I really appreciate whenever I speak to someone who has drawn from a vast array of different fields. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to me because so, so many people become specialized or mm -hmm. hyper-specialized and then they lose sight of uh, the bigger picture. And it seems to me like you're someone who's been able to weave all these different threads from different disciplines together and 
form a cohesive worldview. I mean, mm-hmm. let's start with that. You said you wanted the the, the ultimate goal or the, the thing you realized you had to do is figure out how you work. So I yeah. think the thing to ask you is how do you work? <laughs> well, the short, stupid answer is as little as possible, but, <laughs> but that's not what you're asking. Now, how does human being work? You know, if you think about it, we live into the world. Most of our awareness is in interactive between us and the world. So I'm talking to people and I'm looking at the environment and I'm chopping down trees and I'm building a house. That's all interactive. I'm there, but I'm not there with myself. I'm there with some external thing or some mental thing. Right? Does it make sense what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the question then became, and I think that started for me when I was 17. When I was 17, my heart started to ache and I couldn't shake it. And I'm talking about like an uncomfortable feeling in your chest. And it was okay. not based on, on cardiovascular problems. I was 17. I was pretty strong and pretty healthy. But my heart ached all the time. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And it took me 13 years to figure it out. That, that ache that's triggered usually by losing something. You know, grandma dies or a dog runs away or a relationship breaks up, you know, and you feel blue. And we have tons of words for it. Blue and yearning, striving, hoping, loss, grief, lonely, longing. So there are a lot of words for it, depending on what the trigger for it was. Okay. But the feeling is always the same, uncomfortable feeling in the same place in us. And so when you get to the bottom of that, and I I spent many years trying to figure it out, when you get to the bottom of that is when you have a loss on the outside, It's not about losing the thing that ended on the outside, but the loss of your connection to yourself that is the cause of heartache. It's just a trigger set it off. But you're thrown back to your heart calling your awareness to come back home inside to its source in life. Now, you wouldn't know that if you hadn't taken that journey. And so here's how the journey goes. When you're in your mother's womb, there's nothing to do, nowhere to go. Everything's taken care of, and it's relatively safe. And because there's nowhere to go and nothing to do, your awareness is focused inside, at rest, in its source, inside, in life. And you're not aware of the outside at all. Understood. And so I call it the Buddha tank because you're actually in a little Buddha (laughs) meditation. So you're fully present inside, and there's light there, and there's sound there, like not not the sound of your, your mother's intestines gurgling, but there's a constant sound there, and there's a feeling there. And you're living in that experience, not knowing, not having words, not knowing what it is, not knowing you can lose it, but you're in that place. And then you get born, and all hell breaks loose. So now you got to... You got your your awareness has to go out through your senses into the world to monitor change because that becomes important for survival. Because the moment something changes, you got to assess it. Is this friend, is this foe, or is this irrelevant? And depending on the quick assessment that you have to make, you decide how to respond. And how you respond is really important to survival because you're either going to run or you're going to be attracted to it or you're just going to ignore it. 
And so we have to learn that. And in order to learn that, our awareness goes out into the world of surfaces of things, I call it, and gets, gets disconnected from inside. So we've moved from being present inside, absent outside, to being present outside and absent inside. And that's the beginning of heartache. Because we drift and drift and drift and drift and drift, and then we forgot that there was even an inner place. Children still have it when they're pretty young. But by the time a kid's 20, it's pretty much out there. <laughs> you know, you yeah. used to call it in the 60s, oh, yeah, he's really out there. <laughs> right? But yeah, not, not connected to ourselves. And, that's, and, and then this heartache becomes our driving force because it is the central driving force of every human being. And it's always you're trying to find out how to find satisfaction, how to find fulfillment, how to find something that will make you feel okay again, because this heartache doesn't feel okay. And so then it's maybe it's a million dollars or some big project you take on or walking barefoot across Antarctica or just like something that is unique to you that you want to accomplish. And the hope is when I accomplish it, I'll be whole again. And what happens is if you accomplish it, you get three days where you go, yay, I did it, I did it, I did it. And on the fourth day, this ache is back. This letdown, you feel a letdown. You know, I thought it was going to be really cool and I was distracted by all the effort I made to accomplish it. But when I accomplished it, ah, there was a letdown. Oh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Then you say, well, either I didn't think big enough or I didn't think in the right direction. So you set up another thing to do to make effort to accomplish and then well maybe this time i'll feel whole but the problem with that is we're trying to fix an inner disconnection with an external accomplishment and it's never going to work we're always going to get those three days of yeah i did it i did it i did it you know maybe we get some pats on the back from people but that doesn't reconnect us to the core of our own being that is our presence where everything we actually want deep down is already present. It's just that our focus is disconnected from it. Wow. I mean, so I, I, I agree in principle with everything you've just described. I think my next question is, mm. how do you reconnect? And I'm guessing it involves meditation of some sort. Well, not, not at first. No, the first step is... You know, when we feel it, like I ask you, you ever felt heartache? Yeah, I actually got divorced last year. And okay. I still Definitely a heartache. feel, yeah, I still feel the pain in the chest most days, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Do you like that feeling? <laughs> it lets me know I'm alive, but I don't find it particularly comfortable or enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so if you don't like the feeling, then what do you do to distract yourself from it? To be honest, Udo, um, I don't distract myself from it. I sit with it and try to feel it as intensely as possible. Okay. That's what I did when I got divorced too, but I had already <laughs> started. So here's the thing. The first thing is most people will do whatever it takes to distract themselves from it. Either mm -hmm. they'll distract themselves or they'll ignore it or they'll try, deny it or they'll try to explain it away or they'll blame something or someone for it. Understood. You know, like... Easy, easy enough to do, right? Blame yourself, yeah. blame, your, blame your wife or blame, what, blame, you know, the crazy world you were born into. You know, like I, I used to say when I was younger, well, what do you expect? I was born in a fucking war, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right? So it was like, so most people will do whatever it takes to distract themselves from it. And what I say to them, even drug addicts, they're famous for having heartache. 
And they and the counselors usually tell them, don't dwell on it. Don't focus on it. Just like they told me, don't dwell on it. Don't it'll just drive you crazy. Why can't you just get a, a job like your brother? And I couldn't take it. What I say to people is when you feel it, sit with it. Because this feeling that you don't like, that is uncomfortable in the middle of your chest, is the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive. Why is that? Because number one, number one, it takes you out of your head, grounds you, and makes you simple. That's something really important for human beings. Mm -hmm. Number two, it's your driving force. I explained that a little bit before. It's your driving force. Number three, it's your heart calling your attention to come back home to life. It's like thirst is for water and hunger is for food. Ache of the heart is for fulfillment, is for self-presencing, is for finding your peace, finding your unconditional love, finding your inspiration, finding your wisdom, finding your insight, finding your purpose. All of that exists in behind that ache. So, and then, and then it's also the starting point for the journey to your wholeness. Where are you going to start except where you are? And when you're distracted and you don't notice that you have a need for wholeness, then that's not going to be helpful to your journey. But when, you've, when you feel the emptiness or the ache or the restlessness, when you feel that inside your chest, it's calling you to pay attention to it. If that wasn't there, you would get lost and you would never find your way back. Just like if you never felt hunger, you would forget to eat until you basically, the wind blew you away, until you starved to death, right? So very important, number one, to sit with the feeling. And number two, to get it reframed like I just did. This is the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive because it's your call to come home. So the fourth one was, it's your starting point for the journey. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't go, you, you can, but, but it's crazy to go around and saying, I'm going to win the gold medal in the, in the 10,000 meters, <laughs> but I'll be damned if I'm going to put my feet in the starting blocks, right? You're yeah. not going to get the gold medal in the 10,000 if you don't start at the starting point. And the, journey, and the journey into your awesomeness and magnificence has a starting point, and heartache is the starting point. That's your call home. That's your motivator. That's getting your attention that something needs, you, there's something you need to do different. So, and then the last reason why it's, a, it's, it's the greatest gift you have is that when you, when you take the journey and you come home, your senses every day will still take you outward. And going back will always have to be deliberate because there's nothing inside changing and saying, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. So going back is not automatic. Well, going back has to be deliberate. And when you start drifting because you forget, because that's how we are, we forget, then that heartache will begin to come back to remind you that there's something you need to do deliberately, go to the heartache, and a hair's breadth behind the heartache is your wholeness. Is, is all that good stuff that, that I just listed. Yeah, so I mean, in theory, uh, I, I really, first of all, I really appreciate what you've, what you've just described, Udo, and I, it's, it's been um, a theme with me for many years is this idea that I teach my, my friends and family and, and clients, it's, it's always the same thing. It's this idea that the only healthy way to deal with emotions is to just feel them properly. Right. 
So I think I, I just want to dive a little bit more deeper into the yeah the practical aspect. So let's say you're experiencing this heartache or this this challenge, this pain in your chest. Yeah, and you sit you sit with it. Yeah, and you feel it. Is there a, a roadmap that you should be following? I mean, do you sit there for an hour a day, and then after six weeks something happens, or you look for what? Do you, how does the process work? That's that's what everybody wants, right? <laughs> it's the predictable roadmap. Sure. But here's the thing: there there is a way to get to that place, but mm -hmm. that way may be unique and different to every one of the eight billion people living on the planet. Mm -hmm. Now, there are teachers, there are mantras, there are breathing exercises, there are music, there are dance, there's movement. So there's all kinds of ways that you can try to get to that place inside. But what needs to be clear is the journey is from heartache to wholeness, and it's only a movement of the focus of your awareness. So nothing on the outside has to change. And there isn't a roadmap because the roadmap will keep you in your head. And this is not about your head. This is about feeling. This is about a raw experience, the, the raw experience of life, which is unbelievably beautiful. And children so, are in it. And it's one of the reasons why we like children so much. They have no roadmaps. They don't even have language. They don't have any <laughs> culture. They don't have any religion. They don't have a political view. They have nothing but alive. That raw experience we find super attractive. That's the experience of us inside when we let the rest of it go for a moment, just to experience how incredible it feels to be alive. So the so the formulas I, I I'm always a little bit hesitant <laughs> about formulas because everybody wants them and everybody says, oh yeah I got the formula oh yeah I got the formula yeah for all the outside stuff there's a formula for the inside stuff. You have to let go of all the formulas to embrace an experience that is a thousand miles deeper than your deepest thought, your deepest structure, your deepest formula. So, okay, I, that makes sense to me. And I understand the mind has the propensity to, to try to latch on to yeah, yeah, yeah. plans <laughs> and, and it's, you know, things that we can plan. Yeah. But I understand that you 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 don't you're hesitant to give us a plan, but maybe you could describe what your experience was like when you moved from this place of heartache to this place of deeper yeah. wisdom. Yeah, I was in science at the University of British Columbia. I was had already been feeling this for a while. I read the the Prophet. You know the book, Khalil Gibran. Prophet, yeah. Khalil Gibran. I had an experience that was unbelievably beautiful, but the second time I read it, it wasn't as good. And the third time I read it was still less good. And after I read it about five times, it was like, eh. <laughs> but, but that triggered, that triggered an experience because it was like new. And it was, of course, it was in words, but there was a lot of feelings in the words. And, and the feeling is what we want out of the words. You know, if you go to, a, if you go to someone who is, is present in their own life, you want to feel, you want to listen to, not to the words so much as to the feeling that the words carry. Because, because feeling speaks to feeling. Heart to heart, you know, there's a language that's heart to heart that has no words, but words are often used to carry the feeling. And so if you're looking for, like, if you want to get a teacher, you know, because you want a formula and the teacher becomes your formula and He's going to show you this and that. 
You listen to the teacher, they'll contradict it themselves. And they do it all the time. And if you're in, into the words, you're going you're gonna to start arguing with them. But if you're actually looking for the connection to your heart, then you listen to the feeling. Because one of the things some people know how to do is to be present in the heart and then talk. Put that presence through words. But the words are not the presence. The presence is the presence. So what I did is I started reading and I, I did psychedelics. For me, the psychedelics were a huge gift. I, in 1964, I think, I was working in a neurological research lab and they had 144 amples of 100 micrograms of LSD from Sandoz, the original maker. Wow. Pure Sandoz acid, right? Amazing. And I took 60 micrograms, very, very small amount, with a couple of friends. And I rolled on the floor laughing, and the tears were running down my cheeks. And we, we were listening to Mozart, and I was laughing in, you know, in time with Mozart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really crazy. And the reason why I was laughing is that I realized that everything I was so studiously looking for in the world was inside of me already. That's like, that's the cosmic joke, right? People say, you know, God, God goes to his advisors and he says, uh, I can't stand it. People are just being, you know, they're just like, they're always wanting something. They're always, you know, they're always complaining. I don't know. I just, I've just had it with these people. And so his advisors say, one says, well, you climb on the mountain. And, uh, you know, they say, no, 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 that's not going to work because they're going to, they're going to make it up to Everest. So that's not a place where you can hide. Oh, go to the bottom of the ocean. Somebody says, no, no, they're going to do that too. And a little, little guy comes, a little dumb, dumb guy in the, in the, among the court advisors says, why don't you hide in the heart of people? Because they'll never look there, right? Yeah, so, I've actually heard that story before. I've reflected on it quite a lot. Yeah. And I really do believe that, that all, all the treasures that we're, we're seeking are within yeah, it's like we're loaded with it. We're loaded with it. Everything that was in the master is also in us. You know, that's not what the religions tell us, but the masters all said in one way or another, what I have, you have. We're not different. The difference was they took time to sit still and connect inside. And we mostly, if we do anything in that arena, we dabble. They, were ser they took it seriously. They said, one, number one priority every day, Spend time in stillness. See how deep into the stillness you can go. See how long you can stay there. And look to see what you find there. Listen to what you hear there. Feel to what you feel there. And you find if you go deep enough, there's light in your darkness. There's sound in your silence. And there's love in your emptiness. And the two are so close. That literally, and you have to do, you know, to, to be, you have to do less. To do, you know, in doing, you lose your being. And in being, you find, you find yourself. And the less you do, the, the bigger you, you become in being. Because your being goes from the core of your, your chest all the way out to infinity. Something in you has that in is infinite something in you is infinite something in you is power called unconditional love 
you're not even your body. So because when you, you call it your body, this is my body. So when every time I say this is my body, I'm telling you that I'm not the body. I'm the owner. Now, who owns my body? A life owns my body. So in my essence, I'm actually, I am life. And life is unconditional love. It comes from the sun as solar energy, goes into green leaves, stored between bonds and atoms to make molecules. We eat those, break them down. That solar energy is released. There's my life. That's the objective view. The subjective view is if I become one with that energy by bringing my, aware, my focus of awareness into it, then that life is unconditional love. And that life weighs nothing and runs everything. And that life is also the master, whatever name you give to the great master, you know, whether it's Buddha or Christ, or that is in every human being. And how many people, how many of the hundred billion people that have lived so far actually realize that? Not very many. But what if eight billion people could actually realize that presence in their own life. You think this world would be different? You think we might destroy the environment less or yeah. beat each other in <laughs> politics or have fewer wars or have better relationships Absolutely. or you know, have better health? Of course, because the un unconditioned love is indestructible. And the message of the masters, I had one meeting with one. I am come not to judge but to love. So I didn't do what I, you know, I, uh, you asked me how I got there, but let me just stop there for a minute and see, see where you want to go. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I guess um, what, what I was asking, maybe I should have been more specific is I wanted to know a bit how, a bit more about how your experience as a human being changed once yeah. you went from someone who was, I guess, head focused to heart focused. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it's definitely a journey. So I read the prophet. I did psychedelics. I realized one day how isolated I was because I didn't want to listen to anybody. Hmm. Books were okay. They were safe when I was a kid right? <laughs> from the war. They were safe. But I didn't like to listen to teachers because I'd had a lot of teachers and a lot of teachers gave me bad advice. I felt. And then, but I used to go around at the other, on the other hand, and I say, well, you know, I live, I learned from everything. I learned from the sky and I learned from the water and I learned from the trees and I learned just by being around and, and looking at things and being with things. I was learning a lot. And they say, well, that's really interesting. I'm completely open to everything except people. <laughs> at that point, I said, well, maybe I will check out some teachers. And so I checked out some teachers in you know, I, I didn't like, like transcendental meditation. I, you know, I, I checked it out and you get a mantra and I said, I don't need more words. So I, I passed on it because you get a mantra. It's like a word doesn't have any meaning. It's supposed to take you inside. And I felt like I had so many words in my head that they were hanging out of my ears. So I didn't <laughs> want more words. So that, so, you know, that's not what it is, but that's what I thought. So I passed on it. Then there was a guy who said he looked at the sun without uh, with eye protection. And so I tried that and saw the sun <laughs> kind of burnt my retina a little for, for a while there. And then I looked at and then I another guy who 
you know, I, so I started checking out some of those people and listening to the stories. And the thing that always got to me is the what was the feeling around those people? The feelings of the people who had teachers. What was the feeling? Because I wasn't ready for a teacher, right? And there were a couple of places where the people felt really comfortable and they were kind and they were loving and they were sweet. And I liked that feeling. So, and then eventually I left the city because I hated the city. I thought, you know, I don't know. I don't like the city. There's no life in it. I forgot that the trees and the people are, are life in the city. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I wouldn't say that I was all clear thinking. I was smart, <laughs> but in some ways really stupid. So we moved, we moved to the mountains, my girlfriend and I. We had a kid. The kid was four months old. We moved to the mountains of Colorado into a cabin at 9,100 feet. Mm. And I promised to make firewood. And one day when I was going out with the landlord's son to get firewood, he turned on the ignition. We didn't have any, any media up there, no radio, no newspaper. We had electricity, but not, nothing like that. And so he turned on the, the uh, ignition and there was a message about an, an event in Montrose, Colorado. And something about it was made me think, I think I need to go. And so I did. I hitchhiked there and car picked me up and brought me there. It was a 200-mile hitchhike. And I met this kid. He was 14 at the time. And he talked for two hours, two different days you know, one hour a day. And I only remember one sentence. He said, this, the peace you search for in the world is within you. And I can show you how to connect to it. And that was like, I was always big on peace because I came out of a war. But I thought about it and I said, you know, I'm 30. I've been around. This kid is 14. What's he going to teach me? <laughs> I think that would be called arrogance. <laughs> and, uh, so I blew it off, and then I started thinking about it. I said, well, you know, just on the offhand, off chance, he can show me something. I better go and check it out. And if he can, then I'll do it. And if he can't, I'll just keep looking. So I was, by, I was pretty clear looking for peace. And uh, then he showed me a method. I thought the method was too simple because the way I thought about it was we've made it to the moon. It was really complicated, but we finally made it. We haven't made it to peace yet. So peace must be more complicated than going to the moon. Of course, it's complete BS, but that's how I was thinking. And then he said, well, you know, I, so I, when he, I was disappointed when I was shown the method. And that goes back to formulas in a second. So I said, and he said, you know, give it a fair chance. He called it knowledge, self-knowledge. You know, the way, the way to bring awareness that's always going out and bring it inside. And so I said, well, I, I'll give it a fair chance. But he didn't say what a fair chance was. I'd say, well, I'll do it for six months. And if, it, if I notice a difference, then I'll keep doing it. Otherwise, I'll just pass on it and keep looking. My ex-wife and I argued every day, all day. I would come into the, she'd be in the kitchen. I'd come out of the bedroom. I'd say one sentence. She'd immediately take the opposite view. And we'd get into this like really stupid drag out argument. And I really wanted her to agree with me. I, it was like I, a need that I fit, thought I had. 
And so we'd get so angry that I would, it was like, I had a choice. Either I was going to belt her or I was going to go outside and go for a walk in the woods. So I went for a walk <laughs> in the woods and I sit on a dead log and just do this practice for five or 10 minutes. And he, he recommended an hour. So I did five or 10 minutes. I couldn't sit still for an hour in those days. And by the time the five or 10 minutes were up, I would look at it and say, what? We argued about that. That's so ridiculous. That's so trivial. And I realized that if I did the practice before the argument, I wouldn't rise to the bait. So at six months, I, say, uh, I said, well, this is working for me. And so I then did that for, uh, I still do it. But it's not as, and he showed me the method. But the thing that was, that, and why I don't like the formulas so much, is that you can get any method, but that doesn't make you practice. Something else makes you practice. The thirst of the heart makes you practice because you understand why you're practicing. Mm -hmm. The reason why a lot of people bypass spirituality and have nice things to say, but are, when it comes right down to it, are not connected is because they don't want to accept the pain that is the starting point. And if, the, if you understand that pain, then his method will work and maybe a whole bunch of other methods will also work. Because this is, a, this is a journey you take on your own. This is not a journey your master, you know, he can, he, say he can coach you and he can tell you stories and he can tell you stories about himself and he can talk from that place. But when you're on your own, you're on your own. Now, how do you then go from being dependent on somebody on the outside or something on the outside? How do you go to the point where you can go just between your need to feel whole to feeling whole. And that requires a stillness practice. Sure. And that's the, that's the stillness practice is basically the method that, um, that you, this, this young kid oh. showed you. No, he never talked about, he never talked about stillness. He just talked about closing off your senses that are always going outside and, and just resting to allow your senses to go inside. Well, yeah, I understand. Right. So, so, but it's kind of like a formula, you know, because it's like techniques, right? Mm -hmm. But the technique doesn't get you there. You can do the technique and, and not experience anything. Because the thirst, the thirst, the ache to know, the need to know is what drives everything. Mm -hmm. There's a, a guy by the name of Kabir who says, you know, when the guest is being searched for, he calls it the guest, the inside. When the guest is being searched for, it is the desire for the guest that does all the work. It is the desire for the guest that does all the work. Look at me and you will see a slave. No, it's the intensity of the desire that does all the work. Look at me and you will see a slave of that intensity. So this is, so this is, a, this is an interplay between the, the heartache, the need to know, and then the knowing right behind it. And so the journey, <laughs> I mean, the journey has no dimension, but it has two very clear points. One is the peace and the other one, or the contentment or the wholeness or whatever you call it, the oneness. One is that, that's the goal. And the starting point is the need for that. Sure. And then there's no, then you don't need a formula. You, you sit with the need. And then different people have done it in different ways. Some people with teachers, some people without teachers. I wouldn't say like sometimes people say, oh, you know, you need a mentor for 
you're a business stuff and you need a mentor for this, you need a mentor for that, and you need a mentor for that. And then they say, yeah, but when it comes to finding your peace, which is actually the most difficult undertaking for a human being, then you should do that by yourself. You should definitely not have a teacher of that. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but yeah. there are people, but there are people who find a way to to a very, very peaceful place. You know, I one one of them, uh, you know, he was he was committing he was gonna commit suicide because he was like done. And then he realized that in his inner dialogue, there were two people talking. And he, he got intrigued by that. Who are, who's talking to who here? And in the course of figuring out who's talking to who in this dialogue, in a deep, dep- deep <laughs> suicidal depression, he found a way to drop into that incredibly beautiful place. And that was the end of his, of his su- suicidal uh, track. Yeah, that was Eckhart Tolle, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And, he's, and he's definitely clear about something. Absolutely, and I, I totally agree. Udo, that was really fascinating. There's many more things I'd like to talk to you about, but we're coming to the end of, of our time. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll have you back on the show at some point in the future. Sure, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah I, I really do appreciate your knowledge and wisdom. It's made me reflect on certain things and made me realize that I'm on the right path because I think there's a lot of overlap between what you've been through and, and what I've been through. Yeah. If if the people listening want to find out more about about you and Udo's Choice, where's the best place for them to go? Well, udoschoice.com, U-D-O-S-choice.com. That's where I talk about the oil and the enzymes and probiotics, the stuff I do for physical health okay. and why we made them and how we made them and what, what's in them and all that. And then the okay. other one where I do education and we have some courses, uh, that's theudo.com, T-H-E-U-D-O.com or udoerasmus.com. But I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram and and I have a YouTube channel, lots of, lots of stuff on health, healthy oils and making oils with health in mind. So I'm not hard to find. <laughs> Udo, I, I really, really appreciate your time, my man. You, you, um, exactly the type of person I enjoy having on the show. And uh, I could sense... You spoke earlier about, you know, going beyond words, and mm-hmm. I can just sense from your presence, you know, through this this call through the through the internet, I can actually sense that you're you're one of the guys who's found something, and I appreciate yeah. you sharing that with us. And I'm and using a lot of words too, <laughs> <laughs> let it, to let it be known, right? <laughs> For sure, we we'd love to have you back on the show at some point in the future, and next time we'll discuss physical health um, more than than mental and spiritual health but but thank you so much for your time Udo all right thank you Nick that's totally not what I expected when uh, I was preparing for the show with Udo I thought we were going to speak a lot more on topics of health and physical well-being and uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find out what a deep human being he is I suppose it shouldn't come as any surprise I've realized that most of the people who become as uber successful as he is in fields such as that, I'm not talking about people who just make a lot of money selling widgets or trading equities and derivatives or any of the traditional ways that people acquire wealth. I'm talking about those who have taken their own path and created something new and interesting and refreshing in the world. Whenever I meet those types of people, 
it always becomes clear to me very quickly that they are connected to the source. And they have to be, because to navigate and find your own way and build something that amazing, you can only do it if you're tapped into something something deeper, something higher. And uh, it's very clear that Udo is. Hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. And uh, I just want to remind you, please leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And go check out liberationmentor.com forward slash book if you want to get a free copy of my book, Aligned, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Freedom. It's a really great book. Everyone who's read it truly enjoyed it. If you have read it, please head on over to amazon.com and leave a review that really helps me out. Until next time, guys, keep the faith.